That, that almost wants me to get back in my singing career. <laughs> Tell you what, I only know two songs. One of them's in the sweet by and by, and the other one isn't. <laughs> that was great, guys. Man, now I know why you wanted me to be down there here. I loved it. That was absolutely great. That was absolutely great. Well, if you have your Bibles today, guess where we're at? We're in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. And we have been camping here for a couple of weeks, and I think probably uh, this has been one of the um, premier uh, series that we've ever done. Not necessarily because I'm teaching it, but because of what the content of it, of, that it is. And, you know, this church strives to be here to help you be better. That's what our job is. Many churches lose that in everything that they try to do. They think the building buildings and, and great things is what it needs to be. And I, I'm, I'm not arguing or fighting with anybody, but <clears throat> I, I, I know from, from my own time in the ministry and from people who invested their life in me that the ministry is people. And we exist for one reason. That's to help you be better. And uh, we don't do anybody any good if we build the greatest buildings on the planet if God's people aren't getting what they need to help them be better. Some of you are single. Some of you are married. Some of you are engaged. Some of you are single parents. Some of you are young people, young couples. Some of you are older couples. We all have needs. And the Word of God is what will supply those needs to you. And that's what uh, this church, really any church, should be about. And today we're going to look at the final phase of having a biblical balance. Even though it is the final phase, we'll still be here for several more weeks because there's some things here that I want to take some time with and talk about. But as just a short review, in case you haven't been here for the last couple of times we've talked about this, we've looked at, uh, out of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, we have looked at three fundamental balances so far that, that I think it's vital that we as Christians understand. The first one was God and how he's such a balanced being, and then the Bible that he gave us and how the Bible is such a balanced book. And I took you through those and showed you how that all worked. Then the second week, we put our own church under the microscope. You know, it's, uh, we, as I've said many, many times, if you're afraid to look at your own church in light of the Word of God and scrutinize it, then probably something wrong with it. So we, we looked at our own church and our own ministry. And uh, is it based on the Bible? Is it run on biblical principles or, or is it not? And then last week, we, we began to talk about your own relationship with God and His Word. And today, uh, I, I want to look at a fourth one, or at least begin to, and getting uh, on a, a personal level in your relationship with God as it relates to all that's involved in your life. Now, the first three balances will begin to dovetail, and you'll see as we talk about the fourth one today, you'll see how they all begin to balance and inject themselves to form uh, a perfect balance. I, I like movies, I, I, good movies, I, I, and one of my favorite movies, and I like movies that are based on true events, by the way, and uh, we're, we're going to see you go see American Sniper tonight, I think that's a great, I, I love movies that have a, a sense of truth to them of what happened, by the way, you better get there early, six o'clock, going to be packed out, start to six. But anyway, The Perfect Storm. To me, that's a great movie. 
And now probably many of you have seen it, some of you have not, but The Perfect Storm's about a true story of an event that happened back in the, uh, I believe it was in the late 80s. And it took place up in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And if you've never been to Gloucester, Massachusetts, oh boy, it's a postcard place of, of the old seafaring days. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, and it's a, it's a great, great little town. And uh, this story dealt with a boat by the name of the Andrea Gale that was a fishing boat, a tuna boat, that went out um, and with many other boats. And uh, they made their living by catching uh, uh, tuna and swordfish and all of that and then bringing it back and selling it. And the boat went out on a, on a day and it went right into uh, the worst storm in 200 years uh, in the New England area. And it was called a perfect storm. And the reason why it was called a perfect storm, because four major storms converged from four different angles and all came together at a center point of about a 100-mile radius and literally tore the New England coast and uh, the Grand Banks and all that area there. And that little boat, the Andrea Gale, was caught right in the middle of it. They never found out what happened to the Andrea Gale. They take you through the movie, and obviously this is where Hollywood takes over and gives some reason to the events of what happened to them, but nobody really knows, other than the fact that that great swarm, a storm swallowed them up. I've always looked at that and, and thought about that perfect storm concept of, of four major storms converging on one area that brought about that perfect storm. I always looked at it in a biblical way because the same thing happens when you put the Bible into your life. When you get the four major sections of a balanced Bible in your life converging on your life from four different areas, it will produce the perfect balance in your life. And just as the perfect storm tore apart New England, devastated the shipping industry, the perfect balance in your life, if you ever get it, will bring you to the point where you'll tear this world apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible concept when you look at it and understand it. Just as the perfect storm did what damage in New England, your job and my job as a church for the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to do some damage in this whole world for the cause of Christ. There's some things we're to preach, there's some things we're to say, there's some things that we're trying to get done. Now, let's start and look at this. Now, when we talk about a balance, the key ingredient of a balance is one concept, and it's the concept of structure. A biblical structure in your life that allows the perfect balance to form in your life exactly the way God intended it to. And Three things form the balance of that structure. And you've heard me say what I'm about to say many, many times, but there's new people here, and the price of learning anyhow is repetition. When Christ went back to heaven, he replaced himself with three things. The first thing he replaced himself with was the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 1, the great day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit of God came and indwelt men for the very first time. The second thing that he replaced himself with was the Word of God. And the Word of God, by 90 A.D., John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he writes the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, around 90 A.D. That completes the Bible, and now the Bible has been given to man in its completeness. 
But the third thing God replaced himself with, and these three will make up the structure of a balance in anybody's life. He gave us the Holy Spirit of God. He gave us the Word of God. And then by giving us the Apostle Paul and his commission in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 9 and from then on out, the third part of that structure that he gave us was the New Testament local church. I've always looked at it that the structure, the threefold balance of a structure in my life simply runs like this. The Holy Spirit of God is my guide. Bible says that he leads and guides me into all truth. The Word of God is the roadmap of my life. The Holy Spirit of God takes this book and shows me exactly where he wants me to go and what he wants me to do. But the local church becomes my vehicle by which I get there. That forms that balance of structure in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that the number three uh, in the Bible always completes something, and it forms the balance in our life. If I would take a magic marker and I put a line across this wall here, a black line, there'd be three parts to that line. The line would have a length, the line would have a width, and if you put a microscope on it, it would have a depth. It would have a, a, a three dimensions to it. And you know that if you take any one of those three aspects away, you can't have a line. The line has to have three parts. And I, I say that as an illustration that you have to have the threefold structure working in your life to have a balance or you don't have a balance. Now, we're all human. And we're all famous for liking to have one or two of them. Oh, I've taught people that love God and, and you know, talk about, oh, the Holy Spirit of God is great. And, yeah, I got a Bible, but they never go to church. Yet I found people who go to church every Sunday, <clears throat> but they don't have anything they believe about the Bible. We as human beings are famous for, for having one, forsaking two, or having two and forsaking one. But you know what? To have the right balance and the right structure, you've got to have all three. When it comes to a balance or a structure, it's all three or nothing. It's as simple as that. Now, our verse today, uh, for the last couple of weeks also, is Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, Father, we thank you so much for what we've seen today and what we've heard today and all that uh, you've blessed us with and the singing and the music and, and just the good people that are here today and the warm uh, feeling of fellowship and love that <clears throat> exists here for one another. Help us, Father, today to <clears throat> move into this lesson and to help us leave today uh, understanding some great things that we need to see. And we'll give you all the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. For sake we ask it. Amen. Now, when you get the first three down that we've already talked about, you're going to be doing pretty good in your life. And there's a process to get there. And then when you add this fourth one into your life, now you have the basis of a foundation that you're going to build something on the rest of your life. And as I said, this is all part of a biblical growth process. We start people out here when they get saved with discipleship one. 
and that gives you the basics, and you get the chance to, uh, uh, you know, just sit there and listen, but then we move into another level where you get to actually do the work in the Bible, and, and uh, you learn a little more on another level, and then obviously we have Thursday night Bible study where you can ask any question you want to ask, and we have Sunday morning where we basically preach and teach the Word of God. We have special teaching times all of the time, sometimes on New Year's Eve, sometimes, you know, we just call a special time and do something special like we We've done on Bible study, and you always have the one-on-one time with me. I have a policy in my life, I've always had it, that you can spend an hour a week with me coming over, and you've got questions in the Bible, or you want to do a study in the Bible, and you want to lay something out in the Bible and bring it over to me, and we do that all the time. That's, that's how you do it. So, on all spiritual levels, we do that so you can continue to grow and get better at what God has called you to do by perfecting the balance. Because if you don't have a balance in your life, you're going to be out of balance. It's just that simple. Now, your balance forms around three key principles in the Bible. And uh, we've talked about these before, uh, maybe not in the context that we're going to put it in today, but we're kind of putting it, pulling a lot of things together here. And uh, once you get these in your life, your, your life will basically be a changed life uh, because you'll look at things differently. When you get these things down, you begin to get, as the book of Proverbs says, a balance in your life of knowledge, a balance in your life of wisdom, and a balance in your life of understanding. Now, when you get that, you have the ability uh, through this perfect balance to see, first of all, ourselves, other people, your situation that you may be in or a situation that you find coming your way, your issues in life, your wife, your husband, your children, your job, everything. Now you begin to see it in a perfect balance of God's understanding. You no longer have to look at it and wonder what it is. Now you have the ability to see it for what it is. And believe me, it makes life and its issues a lot less complicated. Now today I want to talk about what I think is a vital issue um, in any church, but especially in ours. Uh, I've laid uh, this, what I'm about to talk to you about this morning, I've laid it out around nine vital, or I consider them vital concepts or principles. And I will tell you when I hit them so you remember uh, to write them down or get it. If you don't get anything else out of what I say, I ask God to help you go home with these nine concepts, but I hope you get more than that out of it. Now, today I want to talk about the biblical balance of the Christian family. Last Tuesday night, President Obama gave the State of the Nation address, or they call it the State of the Union. And um, I guess you could say today that I want to give you a State of the Family address based on the Bible. By the way, they're both in shambles, the nation and the family today for most cases. But I want to show you a biblical concept of, of, a, of a biblical family having a balance. You know, our church is very unique. Uh, it really is. Uh, it's very unique because of the fact that if you just look around you, all of the young people that we have, most churches today are dinosaur graveyards. They're going to they're gonna die by attrition. <clears throat> no young people in it. No young couples in it. <clears throat> You got people who are all in their 80s or their 70s or their 90s who have been there forever. The pastor doesn't have any motivation or understand, bless his heart, maybe how to, how to, to 
breathe life back into it. And uh, I, I looked at, you know, and I, 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 I look at that and I think to myself, you know, God has got something going on here that's very unique because 85% of our church is probably 40 and under. You can look around, it's a very young church, young in the sense of young people. And I understand the process. I thank God for the older folks. I think the older folks in any church are a stabilizing factor. I like young couples coming into our church all the time, but I also like older couples coming in all the time that have a good stability because they're the ones that, that really help the younger ones come along, and it's a, it's a vital process. But you don't, you, there again, you've got to keep it in balance. You don't want all young and no old, and you don't want all old and no young. You've got to find a balance in there. Because the lifeblood of any church will be the young families, the young couples, the young singles. But that alone won't do it. You can have all the young couples, all the young families, but if they don't get a balance in their family from the Bible, it's never going to go anywhere. Now, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on this because I want you to get it at least understanding, understanding your family from a biblical perspective. You know, just having kids doesn't make you a father or a mother. Any two people can go find a husband or a wife or find a girl or a guy and have kids. That doesn't make you a mom or a dad or a, or a husband or a wife. What makes a husband and wife, what makes a father and a mother is a couple that takes responsibility for the kids that they have understanding that there's some things that those kids need. Now, as it appears, the complete family will be three things. We look at a family and we think, okay, it's a father and it's a mother and a child or children. So now they're complete. But when you look at it from the Bible standpoint, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, when the husband and wife get married, the two, okay, they what? They become one. So if you just have a mom and a dad, they're now a one, and add a child to it, you're still incomplete. So to make the family complete, here's what you got to have in getting that balance in your family. The mom and the dad become one. There's your first component. You have a child or children. There's your second component. And the third component has to be the Word of God. You have to put that in your family. So a perfectly balanced family will be a father and a mother. They're one, a child or children, and then the Word of God. And then it's within the biblical structure of the New Testament, Holy Spirit, Word of God, New Testament, local church. We know from just what we know about the Bible, the father is the spiritual leader of the home. The mother is the support base for the family. They work together as a team, very clear. But the Word of God has to be the standard by which for the family, uh, through the father, obviously, and the mother, uh, working together, the Word of God becomes the standard. Now, let me give you another key component that must be here uh, in your family that if you're going to have a biblical balance and a biblical concept. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 29. And this is where we really get into the nitty-gritty of it. Proverbs chapter 29, verses 17 and 18. A family to be balanced not only has to have the structure... A family to be balanced not only has to have the things that we've talked about so far, but a family to be balanced has to have a vision. Proverbs 29, verse 17 and 18. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. 
Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, for time and eternity, I've heard that verse is always used in, in relationship to a church. And a church needs to have a vision. And that's absolutely true. I agree 100%. God's people always need to have a vision of what God is doing and what he wants them to do. And if they don't, then they die spiritually. Uh, you know, I know that you don't get to see things, uh, maybe from my perspective, because as a pastor, I interact with other pastors or see things on a, a larger scale sometime. But do you realize that churches across this country are closing their doors? They're absolutely folding up the doors. I had a call from a friend of mine last week that, that he, uh, you know, he, uh, he says, you know, I'm just letting you know that uh, uh, my, my pastor called me the other, just a couple hours ago, and this is his last Sunday. He's folding it up, and he, he, he's not going to do it. He can't do it anymore. And he's just going to shut the church down. And, and, I, and I asked him, we talked about it, you know, and, I, and he says he doesn't know what to do. He, he told me, he confided in me, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do for these people. I don't know how to get them. Where, uh, and the bottom line is, churches fail when they don't have a vision. Now, I want to tell you something. The vision has to start with the pastor. So last week, I went out and bought a 65-inch vision. I can see it clearly now. He has to have the vision. He has to be the one. And, you know, it's a thing where, you know, if... If he doesn't have the vision, then the church is not ever going to get the vision. And all this is true for a church. It, it, it has to have a vision. But did you see the context of that passage I just read you? Look at verse 17. I know it fits for a church, and I've used it many, many times, and it's a true principle. But look at the context of chapter of 29, verse 17. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight to thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish. The idea of a vision has to do with not just a church. It has to do with your family. It has to do with your children. The parents, the mom and the dad, the mother, they need to provide a vision for their children of what God is doing and what he's going to do and how we're going to expect all to get there. You need to use the guide, the Holy Spirit of God, the roadmap, the Word of God, and the vehicle, the local church, to get your family there. Mom and dad set the structure of how the family is going to run, not the kids. I don't know how many times today I've seen where literally the children run the family. They tell the parents what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, and the parents seemingly are helpless. And if the parents try to lift a hand or say you can't do that, then they threaten them. I've had parents say, well, I threatened to spank my child, and my child said that she would, if I did, they were going to turn me into the Division of Family Services at school, and I'd go to jail. Now, you know what I'd do? I'd give that child a whipping and I'd say, you go ahead and tell them because if that's the bottom line and you'd rather be with the family services down there than in your home, then that's where you need to be. But you know how a child gets to that point in their life? Parents didn't provide any vision. They don't see the family structure of what it is. So now the kids, they don't see their role in it. They don't see their part in it. They don't see how that it's a team together to accomplish something for God. They, they don't understand. Mom and dad set the structure. The children don't they, don't, they don't have any say in how the family is going to go. And it's something that you have to do. Now, here's your first principle that I want you to get down there. Parents.
Parents who provide no vision for their children. Parents who provide no vision for their children will lose them just as a pastor who has no vision for his church will lose his congregation. Because both the family and the church are dependent on a vision. You know, we have a church here, and this church is made up of families. And I don't know if you know or not, but the family unit has always been one of the key concepts of anything, even in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel, but certainly in the New Testament church. And the concept of a family is absolutely incredible. And the bottom line is, for a mom and a dad, your family is your first church. And just as I, as the pastor, have to keep a vision before you, lay the vision out of what this church is. I mean, if I just got up here and talked about sushi stuff and nice flowery stuff and never gave you any direction, we'd just be a bunch of flower child, man, just hanging out here, just having a good time in life, but no direction. If God's people need anything in life, it's a vision that is clear of where they're going and what they need to try to accomplish. And if anything that a family needs is that vision of where they're going and what they're trying to accomplish. And when you have a vision, there needs to be a balance in that vision. And that balance is found in the book of Habakkuk. Let's go over there now. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. And here's the balance on a vision. Everything has a balance. And when you get the balance in your family, then you go through life balancing the balance, tweaking the balance. But everything has to have that biblical balance. And when you use the Bible as your final authority, it becomes pretty easy to put it all together. Habakkuk chapter 2. Yes, that is in the Old Testament. I used to say it's right next to the book of Hezekiah, but I've had too many people spend all week then trying to find Hezekiah and calling me all week on it when there is no Hezekiah in the Bible. Habakkuk chapter 2. Here's what he says. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now, in this passage, there's three parts to the biblical vision that I want to talk about today. And I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about this and showing you how this gets a perfect balance in your life. I want to talk about them today, and I want to give you the key components. Now, first of all, I want you to look at verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. And will watch and see what he, God, will do or say unto me, and what I shall answer when I, when I am reproved. Now, the first thing I want to tell you is this. As parents, you need to know where your children are at. You need to know what's in their life and what they're into in life. You need to know who their friends are at school. You need to know what internet access they have and what they're on. You need to monitor what they do on MySpace, FlashFace, or whatever those other goofy places are called. You need to understand and know who they spend time with. Now, this church 
is on my watch. And someday I will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ for my watch. Bible says that as a pastor, you need to, uh, you need to look well nigh to your herds and understand where your church is so you can better help them. I understand that. But your children are on your watch. And just as I'm going to give an account someday for my watch with this church, you will surely give an account someday for your watch with your kids. Now, any pastor who makes any decision in church about anything at all, some people will like it and some people won't. I've never been in a church where anybody was 100% happy with any decision that was made. But when the vision is clear and you got to get somewhere to do what you got to do, you got to make decisions. And you know when you're making it that you're not going to make everybody happy. Now that's true in a church, but my friend, it's also true in your family. You're going to have to make some choices and some decisions that aren't going to make your children happy. They're not going to like it. But that's okay. See, one little kid already said amen back there. He's with me on it. But that's okay. You're responsible. It's on your watch. And I'll tell you a second thing. There's no perfect parent. I'm certainly not a perfect parent. There are no perfect parents. And it's a thing where I, I've seen parents, uh, you know, and this is what he says here. He says, uh, he says I'm going to stand upon my tower and I'm going to watch. And I will watch to see what he will say unto me, God to me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. You're going to make some mistakes as a parent. The problem with parents is they can't admit their mistakes when they make them. And that's a dangerous situation. A parent who just simply says, well, I, I, don't, I don't make any mistakes, or if I do, don't worry about it, just do what I tell you to do. That, that doesn't work. I've seen parents put their child in a situation that the parent never should have put their child in. They left something in their life or do something in their life that they never should have done because they were putting their child in a no-win situation. And then when the child failed, the parent wants to punish the child when they're the ones that put the child in the situation that didn't have a chance in the first place. Parents have to realize that sometimes we don't handle everything right the way we should. And just as a pastor, when I blow it, I'll stand up here and tell you I blow it, and you got to humble yourself before whoever you're, you're dealing with. Parents have to learn that with their children. Because it's a situation where, you know, you can blame your kids, but when they screw up, if it's a situation that we allowed in their life when we should not have, then how do we get upset with them? And a teaching tool for your children, one of the greatest tools you can, is when you're wrong, let them know you're wrong. Now, what I'm about to show you is a balance that has to be in your family as to God and the Word of God and getting those kids through the issues that they're going to face, and they're all going to face issues. Now, I, this, is, this, is, this is Kids Sunday, last Sunday of the month, and I'm glad all the young kids are in here today because, kids, I want you to hear what I have to say because I'm going to talk about your parents, but I'm also going to talk about you. Your parents have a responsibility to do what's right with the Word of God, but I want to tell you, you as kids have a responsibility to do what's right with the Word of God because it's a team effort. A family should be a ministering unit together. It should be a team. 
And mom and dad are going to have to make some hard calls in your life. But you know what? As you get to be an adult and you grow up, God's going to have to make some hard calls in your life. You have to learn and understand that your mom and dad have to submit themselves to a higher authority and you have to submit yourself to a higher authority. That's how it works. That's how it works. Put these three in your family and everybody has an understanding of what your family is all about from the vision and the biblical balance. I guarantee you, you'll never lose your child to the world. You don't put it in and I'll guarantee you, you will. Hey, I've seen parents lose a child and I've seen them realize and understand uh, why they lost a child. I've seen them understand what they did wrong. I've seen them understand that, you know what? Yeah, we shouldn't have done this. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. And yet I've seen those same parents not be willing to fix what needs to be fixed and not only lose that child, but in time they lose the rest of them. Now, here's your second great principle that you want to get down. And it's a simple rule. You cannot change your children without changing yourself. And some parents just won't do that. And the kids will always pay the price. Psalms 127 verse 4 says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of a youth. Just so a mighty man can take a bow and arrow and put that bow in there and put three arrows through that clock back there on the wall, or he can shoot a deer running, or he can put it wherever he wants to go. You as parents and I as parents, we launch our children in life in the direction that they're going to go. Now, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says this. First of all, it says, write the vision. This is our first component. Write the vision. Your children need to clearly understand where your house stands and where your family is going. Joshua is a great example of this in Joshua 24, 15. He says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Now that needs to be the hallmark of every family, but just saying it doesn't make it happen. You have to set the guidelines of a biblical vision for your family. The parents in the early years go to work and lay the vision of who we are as a family and where we're going. You write the vision for them. They'll never figure it out on their own. They'll never figure it out just taking them to church and Sunday school. They figure it out when you sit down and you explain to them, this is who we are. This is who your mom is. This is who I am. And this is who you're going to be. And we together are going to be a family. And this is what our family is going to do. Mom and dad, it's your house. Just like this church is my church as far as responsibility for it on a watch. You set the goals. You set the rules. You set the parameters. You set the guidelines. But on a biblical foundation and a vision. Here's the third thing you want to get down. Most kids have absolutely no idea where their parents stand. They go to church all the time, they go to Bible study, they do it, but they have absolutely no idea where their parents really stand because the parents don't really know and understand where they're standing. They're in church every Sunday. Listen, going to church doesn't give you the vision. 
The church is only, as I said, the vehicle to get you to realize all of that vision that God gave you and to help you. We have a great elementary department. Barb does a tremendous job in Olivia. We have a high school class that is great, a junior high group that's taken care of. Uh, Those people are not, but those people, as good as they are, they're not responsible for giving your child a vision. That's not their job. Their job is to, and they're responsible for helping your child achieve the goals and the priorities that you as parents, by giving them a vision, have set down. We're here to support what you're doing, not to take over and do it for you. Second thing, he said, write the vision. Then he says, make it plain upon the tables. Now you make it plain to them in life because they see it in you. That's how it works. And here's your fourth great principle. All my life I've heard about having good role models. And you know, many times famous people, kids look up to them and sometimes they're good role models and sometimes they're not. Sometimes sports figures, they're good role models and then sometimes they're not. But the thing you've got to realize is parents don't give their child a vision. And I want you to hear me on this. Parents don't give their child a vision. Parents are the role model in their children's life for the vision. They have to see it in us. They have to see it in us first. He says, make it plain upon the tables. I love that. That's the kitchen table, the supper table. That's the, that's the table where you sit around and fellowship. They see it in you around the table talking about what God did this week or what God's going to do or we're praying for so-and-so. Or, wow, that was a great Bible study the other night. Oh, wow, we had a great time over here. If they don't hear that, then they're going to hear mom and dad complain about everything they don't like in the church. That's the way it works. He said, write it upon the tables. In the first aspect, that's a literal table. And the second aspect of tables in the Bible, the tables of your heart. Putting the vision in your children's heart. Putting that vision and giving them a vision for what they see and where it's going to go. The vision in your family because becomes the base for all issues that you will deal with them in life. It becomes a point of reference. And I cannot tell you how absolutely vital in your family a point of reference is. When something goes wrong and you have to deal with something, you simply take them back to that point of reference. You know what? Johnny, this is God's house and we're God's family. We love you and we want the best for you and we work hard and do everything we can to make you the best. We realize, little Johnny, that someday we're going to give an account for you And we're going to do everything we can. But I want you to understand, what you're into and where you're going is non-negotiable. We're not going to put up with it. We're not going to tolerate it. This is God's house. We are God's family. And we're going to stand by the Word of God. And just as your mom and dad someday are going to be accountable to the Word of God for how we train you, you, the children, will be accountable someday to the Word of God too. And so we're going to do our part, but we're going to make sure right now that you do your part. Hey, it'll never be plain in their life if it isn't clear and plain in our own lives first. 
couple of years ago, but now as the church got to a, a certain level, I, I wanted to take a group of people, and it was all voluntary. I didn't go and pick some and not others. Everybody had the opportunity. I wanted to start something which I call the people ministry. And a people ministry was a, a process by which that I took a group of people that were at a certain level, and I wanted to take them well beyond and teach them every aspect of dealing with people and talk a systematic process of going through and showing you the cause and the effect of every problem a person gets into in life and showing you how to get the Word of God. I told them up front that it was going to require more from them. I was going to hold them more accountable. I laid it all out. You can get the tape back there and listen to it if you want. I mean, I told them. And you know what else I did? I made every one of them sign a contract. I listed on that contract everything that I expected of them. And they kept that contract, gave them a week to decide if that's what they want to do. They signed it and brought it back to me. You know why I did that? Because I know how it goes. Everybody wants to be in it when it starts. Oh, work with people. Oh, learn the great things of the Bible. Oh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. Until you got to start the daily drudgery of being part of it. And when they, when they dropped the ball, when they didn't do what they were told they would be held accountable for. I know how it happens. <clears throat> you ever have to deal with your kids <clears throat> and your kids, when you start talking to them, well, I, I wasn't sure, I didn't hear exactly what you said. <laughs> well, now you, <clears throat> you're caught in the middle. Because <clears throat> maybe they did and maybe they didn't. And you, being the loving parent that we all are, you don't want to whip them if they really didn't hear. <clears throat> maybe you didn't make it clear. See, they're a lot smarter than we are. And they'll play that, well, mom, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear you say that. Well, I misunderstood. I mean, how do you whip me for misunderstanding? See how it works? So I know how they do it. And I know how you do it. So I got a piece of paper that every time I had a problem and I had to sit down with somebody, I just pull out their contract. It's got their signature on it. And I ask them, is your signature? Yes, it is. Delano didn't forge it? No. Uh, uh, He didn't forge it? No. It's your signature? Yeah. Then what part of this didn't you understand when you signed it? point of reference. When you have a point of reference in your child's life that you sit down and declare what the vision is going to be, whatever happens, you'll always come back to that point. Maybe not as harshly as I just laid it out with them, but you guys are adults. I can whack you. You, 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 But you bring in a point of reference. Hey, we told you this is what we're going to be as a family. Now, what, what don't you understand about that? There's no, there's no misunderstanding. You may have misunderstood what I said here, but I know you understood what I said here. Point of reference. Point of reference. Make it clear on the tables. Now, I know that when you get into this, it can seem confusing. Because every family has its own set of circumstances that make it appear that it's different. But it's really not. Uh, biblical principles are biblical principles. Now, some of you find yourself in a situation where you're married and, and your, uh, your, your son or your child uh, is by either your wife or you, and they're not the biological parent of it. And many times, parents are reluctant in that kind of a situation. You say, well, he's not really my child or she's not really my child, so I don't know. I'm limited in what I can do. And I, No, you're not. You're not limited at all. It's still your home, and you may not be their biological father, but you can be their spiritual mentor. You can be the spiritual leader. Shoot, I got 50, 60 people in this church that call me pops and dad all the time. And I'm not their biological father. Promise I'm not. I'm not their biological father. <laughs> 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 got to clarify some things sometimes. 
I am not their biological father, but I am their spiritual father in the Lord. Same thing. Same thing. You're still the spiritual head of your home. You shut down the vision from day one, and then you minister to them. Not by yelling, not by demanding, not by, uh, you know, screaming or yelling, not throwing up your hands and walking out, but by patiently leading them once you have given them the reference point of the vision. You minister to them, the Bible, the teaching, the, the living, the consistency of a balanced life, molding and guiding them through the vision of your family where God wants them to be. And they'll adapt to it. They'll adapt to it. You know, one key word in balance uh, that is absolutely, uh, I think, important, and this is your fifth thing here, is the word consistency. Knowing, you know why it's so hard for us to, uh, to have uh, a consistency in that as parents in a family? <clears throat> because consistency doesn't start with your family. Consistency starts with your own personal consistency in your life. And it breaks down there. And it breaks down in everywhere. Now, the third part of the balance that he talks about here, he says that uh, he said that he may run that readeth it. It's a safe bet that when your kids grow up, they will be exactly what their parents trained them to be, good or bad. And know this, uh, at a certain age, your child will begin to run on his own. He's going to be on his own now. She's going to be on her own now. She's going to get 18, 19, 20, going to get a job, going to get an apartment, going to move out, going to do their own thing. And at a certain age, your child is going to run. Now, here's the deal. They'll either run after God or they'll run away from God. There's only going to be two choices. And we as parents are the builders of the racetrack. We as parents, we built them, made them, set them on a course in life by the vision we provided. Now, you've heard me say it many, many times, and I won't go into them in any real detail this morning, the five stages of training up your children and getting a vision in their life. There's a discipline stage. There's a relationship stage. There's a fellowship stage. There's a responsibility stage. And then there's a ministry stage. These five stages cover life of your child from the time they're born to the time they die. These are the internal, inner workings of a structure in a biblical balance of a family. And all five of them will basically be based on the vision that we provide. Courtney. Courtney and Will are down in uh, um, Wichita today. She came over to see me last week, and as you can all know, she's going to have her first baby. And she asked me a couple of questions. You know, women, moms always do it. You know, dad, just, you know, they don't, they don't think that way, but women always come in, and before they have a baby, they want to make sure they do everything right, you know. And she says, she says, you know what, I just got a question. She says, I've heard you talk about the concept of insulating your child versus isolating your child. And she says, we've been talking about balance. And she says, what's the balance in that? How do I know when to insulate versus when to isolate? And, you know, and that was a great question and a great example of how to use the balance. And I, I've talked about many, many times that, that uh, there are things that, you know, that the parents want to isolate their kids from. One of them is the world. And parents make a tragic mistake in trying to isolate their kids from the world. You know why? Because your kids live in the world. And sooner or later, they're going to hit the world full force. 
And you can have them in your home and you can put them in an incubator and keep them from ever seeing anything bad or ever hearing anything bad. And then you turn them at some point when they go out on their own, they're going to hit that thing and they're going to fold up like a broken accordion because they never trained. You can't, you can't isolate your kids from the world, but you can insulate your kids from the world. And I, and I told her, I said, you know, I said, you, you, you got to have a good concept in your life of things that you got to do. And you got to understand, you know, this, this was the movement behind the Christian school movement. The Christian school movement was, you know, and, I, and I, I'm not a big proponent of Christian schools. I, I like the concept. I do. I like the concept of a Christian school. I really do. But you realize that there are no Christian schools? You realize the same sin in public schools as in Christian schools? You realize girls get pregnant in Christian schools just like they do in public schools? I mean, it, it, it's not a lot. I understand the concept, and I like the concept. But here's where I have a problem with it. I know parents. I've been around them all my life. Parents will send their kids to the Christian school, and they think that the Christian school will do for their kids what they don't have to do anymore, and they won't. They, parents think that when you send your kid to a Christian school, that there's a big shine across the door. You can't see it. I can't see it. But the devil sees it. They, parents think that when you send your kid to a Christian school, that there's a big shine across the door. You can't see it. I can't see it. But the devil sees it. And that sign says, devil, you can't come in here. So the devil chases your kid up out of the bus. He chases your kid. And when he gets to the door of a Christian school, he cracks back. <laughs> and then goes to the next public school. That's not how it works. I like the concept of kids being taught the Bible. I do. But I want to tell you right now, nothing, nothing, I mean nothing, will ever take the place of the Christian family. When God put the three institutions in this world that formed the balance of society, it was family in Genesis 2 and 3, it was civil government in Romans 13, and it was a local church in Acts chapter 11, verse 13. And you'll never improve on those three. When I came to Kansas City, there were seven major schools. This was back in the 75, 76. There were seven major Christian schools in the Kansas City area. All gone but one now. All gone but one. And the bottom line is, they couldn't afford it. They couldn't, couldn't sustain it with just Christian kids. So they start to say, well, we'll bring in other denominations in. They're all saved. They love God. They, I one Christian school. Christian school even brought Mormons in. Because they believe, well, they got great values and they got this and that. They'll fit in good here. So your kid goes to Christian school to get a Christian education. And then the doctrine that's in there is bad. Somebody asked me one time, would you rather have a liberal church next to your house or a bar? I said, I'll take the bar. He says, what? Why would you want a bar next to your house instead of a liberal church? I said, because I know what goes in a bar. I know what happens there. It's very clear. You don't always know what's going on in religious organizations. It can get confusing. But you'll never beat on the family, civil government, and the local church. You simply cannot improve on God's structure. You just can't. Now, I told Courtney, I said, look, Court, follow just three basic things here to form this balance. Before your kid goes to school, age one to six, 
Build that foundation of discipline and structure of a vision in your child's life. Become their hero. Become their best friend. Become their role model. All based on instilling a vision. I know Will won't be able to do it, but you can do it. (laughs) Make it plain. (laughs) Write the vision. Cement in those first six years before the world ever gets them. Cement in their world the relationship that you have with them. Make your family vision a lifestyle that they don't know any other way. And when they get to public school, use it to your advantage. Use it as an object lesson of what not to do. Use the system against itself. Paint it for what it is. Prepare preparation for life. Learn, teach them that when they run home and Susie or Johnny was mean to me or they won't sit with me or she was my friend yesterday and not today and she won't sit with me on the bus and you come home crying, get them to realize that when Susie and Johnny grow up, they're still not going to get to sit on the bus with them. The problems will still be there. We as parents get the idea that, well, my kids are going through school right now. When they get adults, they'll be able to handle it. Susie and Johnny are going to be idiots just like they when they're 30, like they were when they were nine. Deal with the issue. Show them. It's a process. You've got to learn how to deal with it now. You've got to understand how to deal with it now. Did you ever notice that in the Bible, some of the most vile acts that man ever committed are found in a perfect, holy word of God. You ever notice that? Who would ever thought that a holy book like this would have a case, several cases of incest? Who ever thought that a holy book from God would ever have homosexuality in it? Who ever thought that a holy book like this would ever have bestiality in it or necromancing in it? Who would have thought that, why would God write a book that is so holy and put these despicable things in? Because the way we learn in life is through contrast. He shows you what's wrong and despicable with man, and then he shows you by contrast what is right and holy with God. When I preach, when I want to give you an example of what's not right, where do I go? Facebook? I go to God's book, and I'll show you a lot. Versus Abraham. I'll show you Jacob as the schemer. I'll show you Absalom who stole David's throne uh, at the gate. I'll show you all the wickedness. And then I'll contrast it. Use the school system the same way. Use the problems your kids deal with the same way. Don't think, well, what am I going to do for my little child? You're going to give them a vision Keep that vision before them. Make it a point of reference and everything they struggle with in life, you're going to bring them back and say, sweetheart, I know it's tough. I know it's not fair. I know it's not right. But what are you going to do when you go in the army? I used to say that to my kids all the time. They'd come whining to me and I'd say, really? Well, what are you going to do when you go in the army? Not saying you say that. My kids, both of them went in the army. But anyway... You've got to keep that point of reference. You've got to get it to the point. And, you know, it's just that simple. They're going to hit the world system someday at full speed. 
And you've got to take right now to give them the proper preparation to withstand. You've got to isolate them. You've got to know that my family stands for this. My mom and dad are my best friend. I don't care what any teacher tells me. I don't care what any of my friends tell me. They want to look back to mom and dad and say, Mom and dad, you are my source of truth. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Then the third thing I told Court, I said, you know what? When you get those two plates, plates, plates spinning, like we talked about last week, then you add the third one. You take ages one to six and you just invest, invest, invest in that vision. Then you get to public school, you use it for what it is as a teaching tool, just like I use the world as a teaching tool here. And then the third thing is you get you get them into the New Testament local church. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about this or don't even know if you even think this way, but your final goal for your child is only one thing, and that is to reproduce them for the work of the Lord for the ministry. That's all it is. 1 Samuel chapter 1, 2, and 3 is your definitive passage on it. Oh, Hannah and Samuel. Oh, Hannah wanted that boy, had that boy, and she got that boy. God finally gave it to him. She nurtured that boy. She brought that up. She trained that boy up. And then what she did, she took him down to the temple, which was God's concept back there of structure, and turned him over to the priest. That's how it works. Just as you have taught them all areas of their life. I've seen dads spend hours coaching their kids on ball and soccer and tennis, driving a car. I've seen moms teach them how to cook, teach them how to sew, teach them how to ride a bike, put the training wheels on. They fall down. You pick them up. You get them going again. How to shoot baskets and do all of those things, coaching them all through life. Well, now you teach them also by example, the ministry. The ministry by your side with you in your New Testament local church, laying out the vision, sealing the deal. Take your child under your wing in ministry, their best friend, your ministry partner, your ministry team. Keep building on that original vision of the family. But now expect, expand it to their own personal life and the plan of God as they get a little older. Use the threefold structure of God provided for the balance in your family. You write the vision. You make it plain upon the tables so that when they read it, when they get older, they'll run with it. And you do it through the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and a local New Testament church. Why do you think that I've created the same things for your children that we do here? You saw the prayer groups this morning. The kids have their own prayer group. We started a, a youth evangelism uh, this year, and, uh, and it, it's an incredible thing to go and be there. You ought to hear some of your kids get up and teach the Word of God. You ought to see some of your kids, how they interact with other kids. Last night I sat there, you know, and I just listened to them, and Jack, Jack did a marvelous thing. He's having some of the, some of the uh, counselors give their testimony. And as I said earlier, Kelly gave hers last night. I mean, your kids need to hear that. These workers, they're not much older than your kids. And they can sit there and relate to them more than many times that I can. <clears throat> and they're telling there about how the world pulled them and how they were in the world. But what then God did and God brought them out and how God used people. Oh, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. 
I put those things in their life to teach them now at 14, 15, and 16 that they begin to learn the responsibility of ministry. And it's a tool for the parents to use. It's not going to take the place of you. But when you're doing what you need to do and you put them in that, they get, we support that. We get it going the same way. We have an outlet that you don't have. We let them teach. We let them preach. I just set it up this morning that now they're going to take their own little guy and they're going to disciple him as a youth group. That's what you do. That's how they get the vision. Now look at the last part of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. It says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Wow, what a great promise to us as parents. What a great promise to me as a preacher for our church. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. You see, the establishment of a vision of God and the Word of God in your family is a long, ongoing process. You don't get there in a hurry, but you get there by being consistent through time. Making Bible Christianity a complete lifestyle. Not just injecting God in your family when it's convenient, or it's Christmas, or it's Easter, or there's some tragedy now. But an all-encompassing culture and a lifestyle that your kid grows up and doesn't know anything else or any other way. By the example of Getting that vision through the role model. Now, here's the seventh thing that I want to give you. It says in verse 3, but at the end, the vision will speak and not lie. Now, I know all through my life, I've seen parents in the ministry, in my ministry. And though I don't have a lot here at this point in time this way, but it happens and it could happen. I've watched parents, you know, make and and hide and ignore their out-of-balance children, but you can only do it for so long. Then the vision you had or the lack of vision you had, one day it will speak. The older they get, the more exposes the whole corrupt system of no balance. You can go through life when they're 8 or 9 or 10 or 12 or 15 or 16 and you can blame it on this kid or you can blame it on that or you can blame it on this church or this teacher or this situation or the pastor or the youth pastor. You can blame it all they want. But when they get out there, boy, and they're on their own and they just screw life up, that vision speaks. And it speaks louder than any excuse or rationalization that mom and dad can come up with. Because at the end, at the end, their spiritual condition at 15, 18, and 19, at 20, 30, and 40, will just be what the spiritual condition was of the lack of a vision or vision that they had because the Bible says the vision will not lie. You either have one or you don't. And the single greatest promise in all the Bible to parents who do it biblically and get the balance in their family is simply, if thou tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. God's promise to us as parents, if we do our part, and establish a vision through the structure with your child that it'll take away and make sure that that child gets exactly where he needs to be. I'm not saying you won't have some issues with your children. I'm not saying you won't have some major problems you've got to deal with. I'm saying the vision will come and bring it to light and bring it to pass. Now, the eighth thing. We like to think, this is all of us, I'm preaching to me, 
We like to think that when it comes to our children and damaging our children and taking our children and destroying them, that it's the world. We like to think that it's the public school. We like to think that it's the wickedness. We like to think it's other kids. We like to think that it's teachers or evolution or that sex education classes they're teaching in church or in their schools. We like to think it's drugs and alcohol and sex. And all we talk about the peer pressure, how it just destroyed my kid. We like to bolster ourselves in thinking, well, my ex-husband or my ex-wife caused this. My child was abused and my child had some terrible thing happen to them that made them this way. We even like to go to the extreme and say, well, uh, you know, uh, it's, 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 the, it's, it's inherited, his problem. His father was a drunk, so he's going to be a drunk. In his genes is, is drug history, so he's going to be a drink. Then, then don't let him wear jeans. I don't know what to tell you. The bottom line is, and the honest, awful truth is, what really destroys kids are the parents and a lack of vision. Parents who will not change themselves to be able to change their children. Parents who, under a cloak of denial, pretend that everything is fine when all of the signs around them tell them that it's not. As parents, you'll either be the best thing in your child's life or you'll be the worst thing in your child's life as far as the vision of God is concerned. Because nobody, I mean nobody, should ever have more influence in your child's life than you. No teacher, no coach, no nobody, no boyfriend, no girlfriend could ever be able to pull away your child out of your world that they always look back to you because they got a point of reference of a vision. Now, I know that there are many different scenarios in dealing with family. And I, 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 I uh, but there are the fundamental biblical principles of getting a balance in your family. I know some of God's people, they get a late start in life after their kids are already up there. I get it. I, I, some of you got saved later in life and your kids were already 10 or 12. I get it. I understand it. Some of you are single parents and you struggle with this. You lost your wife or your husband one way or the other and you're handling it all by yourself. So you're sitting there saying, well, how do I do that? I understand it. There's a thousand different scenarios. But there's always, no matter, listen to me, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your situation is, I don't care because there's always a set of biblical principles that can be hand-fit to help you wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, if you want to get there. That's the job of the church. That's my job. That's the job of everybody here that's on any level of teaching in the Bible. That's our job. That's the job of a church. It's to take you as a single parent, to take you divorced, to take you when you're hurting, to take you when you're struggling through things. And we don't want to add more weight to it. We want to take the weight off of you. Our job is to help you get to where God wants you to be. I say it all the time. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care the mistakes you made. All I care about is where do you want to go from this day forward? And if it's to put the vision in your life and help you get as a single parent or an adult or whatever your situation is to get it there, there's a way to get there. That's what I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you. Well, the last thing, the ninth thing I want to give you here, going back to Hannah and Samuel. Hannah put the, got little Samuel and she put the vision of God for Israel in his early years. 
She taught that little guy and trained him. And when she got him ready in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20, she takes him down and gives him to the priest in the temple, which is a lot like bringing your child and getting him involved in church. The church is the New Testament structure. The temple was the Old Testament structure. And she says this, greatest line in all of the Bible for your children. 1 Samuel 2.20, the Bible says she takes that little boy down and she lends him to the Lord. She trained him. She got him ready. She did everything in her life to make that boy exactly what he needed to be. And then she takes him down and lends him to the ministry to the Lord. That should be the goal of every Christian parent on earth when it comes to the vision of your child, lending them to the Lord for ministry or whatever they do in life. But it only happens when the vision of what God wants your whole family to do gets implemented in their lives at an early age. Remember, it doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, divorced. doesn't matter. Those things don't really enter into it because there's always a way to accomplish what the right thing in your life is to do. You just got to get some help in doing it. And that's the structure of God in your life. But you got to remember where there is no vision, the people perish. Years ago, a lot of years ago, I did a funeral for a young man who at the time, if I remember right, had to be around 26 or 27. He came from a Christian home. Mom and dad went to church. If I remember, I think his dad was even a deacon. But he was a wild kid all of his life. He dropped out of church shortly after getting into high school, went with the wrong crowd, always in trouble. Mom and dad couldn't get him to do anything, got into alcohol, got into drugs, and all the things that go along with it as he got older. Mom and dad always defended him, always tried to make excuses for him. Many times I'd hear his mother blaming it on somebody else's kid, you know, being a bad influence on my kid when it was probably just the opposite. One night about 1 o'clock in the morning as he roared down the road on his motorcycle, he'd been out drinking and partying on drugs, going too fast on a wet road. He went around a corner and missed a corner and on a motorcycle went right into a bridge in Butman and was killed instantly. I had to preach his funeral. And as I stood about the family at that funeral, everybody was blaming everything and everything that happened on everything and everybody else about his untimely death. One guy over here said, oh, you know, that booze, we ought to just take all the booze and just put it in the pit of hell. Well, I agree. I agree. Well, the drugs, you know, we had to get the drug dealer to show him those drugs and they had to put him and give him, uh, give him a capital punishment. Well, I agree. Well, you know, he ran with that crowd over there, you know, from that bar over there and they all had those motorcycles, you know, motorcycles are out of the pit of hell and all that stuff, you know, and they got him going the wrong way and, you know, it's just, a, he never should have bought that motorcycle in the first place. After a long silence, Never forget this. His dad stepped up and he said, no. He said something I never forgot. He says, you know what, guys? He says, I appreciate it, but you're all wrong. Those things didn't kill my boy. I killed my boy. I never provided for him what he needed in his life. 
He got into the world because I failed as a father. He got in the world, instead of holding him accountable, I made excuses for him. He got into the world because I didn't have the courage and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I was a deacon. I was in a church. I've been there every week. But I could not get my own child grounded in the Word of God. He says, it wasn't the booze that killed him. It wasn't the drugs that killed him. It wasn't even the wild crowd. I, as a father, failed. And that's why my son is dead today. Tears streaming down his face. I sit there and put my arm around him, and boy, I tell you what, he just cried and cried and cried and cried. And if he could have got that boy back, I'm sure at that point in time, he'd have changed about himself whatever he needed to change. But it was too late. And someday, dear friend, it'll be too late for you and your children. If you don't become the number one influence in our life, I guarantee you the world will. You don't be their best friend, the world will. If you don't take that little gal now and make her the number one thing in daddy's eye, some boy will come along, make her the number one in his. You don't train that young man up to love God and to be strong in the family and be your minister partner now, he'll be a partner with somebody else at some point and it won't be the ministry. For where there is no vision, the people perish. And there's always something you can do. But it requires you as a parent to change yourself to be able to change your children. The last thing he said, crying with tears almost uncontrollably, he said, son, I love you. I'm sorry that I didn't love you enough to change for you. Closed that lid, put it down on the ground. See, life is real. And your children, your family, mom and dad, it's on your watch. Just like this church is on my watch. You don't like every decision I make, your kids aren't going to like every decision you make. So what? Who's in charge? Who's on the watch? The tower? Stand upon my watch on a tower, that's the high tower talking about in Psalms, where you get up higher and you can see in the 360 all that's going on in your children's life. That's where you need to be. They're on your watch. The balance of the family is crucial. President Obama got up there the other night and tried to paint a picture of, of America being great and wonderful and how much progress we've made. I looked at that and I thought to myself, all that is is a mortician trying to put a smile on a dead man's face. And you can paint any picture you want, but at the end of the day, without a vision, they perish. And the families in America are fractured. They're gone. And the only thing in the Old Testament, this is why God had such harsh punishment for your children in the Old Testament. Your children lip off to you and tell you to go this and go that and tell you, curse you out. You put up with it. In the Old Testament, they took them out and stoned them. They didn't get away with that. You know why? Because God knew that when the family breaks down, the nation broke down. And when the nation breaks down, it all breaks down. And in the New Testament, when the family breaks down, the church breaks down. And when the church breaks down, the world breaks down. Next week, I'll get back into 
carrying it farther, and I'm going to show you how, in your own personal world, another area, how you're going to keep that balance. And we'll play this thing out and give you the best shot I can at it. Hey, that's my job. You may not like everything I said today, but I'll guarantee you one thing about everything I said today. It was the truth. It was the truth. And now you're responsible for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you. And Lord, there's some great, great, great families in this church. And boy, I, I look at the families that are moving across this country to come to be part of this church because they want to build their family right. I, uh, you know, I think of Carolyn and Rob coming down uh, uh, here to uh, bring their kids to part of this. And, and what a great family and how unique that family is. And Lord, what you doing with that family and how much I love them and how much they mean to this church. And Lord, it's just everything you're doing. Uh, Lord, but it's what we do. It's, it's what we do. Uh, we're here for people. I don't care what color they are. I don't care how rich they are, how poor they are. None of that matters to me. All I care about is people. Black, yellow, red, and white, they're all precious in his sight. We just help people. We help them in their need. We help them get where they need to be. And we thank God that you've given us a Bible that provides this church a vision. And you've given me as a pastor some of the greatest couples, some of the greatest singles, some of the greatest young people, some of the greatest older family people in this church that a man could ever want. And I'm the luckiest guy on the planet today. But Lord, help us to not take all that for granted, but to take all of that and to focus it into other people. Because families are hurting today. They need they need direction. They need people to put their arms around them and help them. Good families, people who are good people that are just struggling to try to find the answer to some things. Help us. That's our job. That's what we do. And help bring more people here that will stand by our side and work with people. It'll train them up. Lord, protect us from those that would, would, would hurt our people or take our people or, or hurt this work in any way. But, Lord, this is your work and it's, it's your people. And help us to be found faithful in all that we do for you. And we'll pray again, Lord, for, for Kyle and his family. and Pray for him today and for Sam and for his mom and his stepdad and for his brother. And we just love him, Lord. And the rest of this week, and put your arms around him. Let him know that this church stands behind him 100% in everything. That we are here. They're ours. They belong to us. And we covet them and we take care of them because that's what we do. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. To God be the glory in all things. Amen.